Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and it is taking everything I have not to call you the White Ribbon, Michael Kester. I mean, you could call me the White Ribbon if you want. That's It's a pretty good boil down of my value. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't yet know what to make of that, as we have not gotten into whatever the fuck the White Ribbon is. But we got a show today. We have two films today. They are German films. They are directors we're familiar with. The one movie, which you've already mentioned three times, is The White Ribbon. The other movie is The American Friend. Uh, as mentioned last week, much to your chagrin, we got a double the on today's show, so the doo-wop rules go out the window. But I think that's made up for by the fact that uh, one of these two films stars Dennis Hopper and Bruno Gunn side by side. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the most redeeming factors of any movie in history. Yeah, I'm realizing I have some kind of like ADHD type thing going on. This will not be news to anybody who listens to the show, but it is to me. And so when I see two of those in the title, you're right, it destroys me. Right. But I just pretended the entire time like we were going to do them with German titles. And then... Yeah, I was going to say, if if you do it in German, it's just die twice. <laughs> Very appropriate for today's show. A double death, double feature, and that's a spoiler. Although with these two movies, I, I don't know if it is. Uh, we're going to spoil the films. Everybody knows that. And uh, you can spoil us on our only chats, only Patri, Patri fan. What is, how's this work again? Yeah, you go to... It's been one fucking week. I don't remember how to do this. Yeah, you go to onlyfans.com forward slash double feature. Um, you go to patreon.com forward slash double feature. And uh, you know what I was trying to remember is like one of those, uh, the movie Cam, you know? Yeah. Like, well, one of the, what the fuck was that called? I don't remember. You have to remember, we made bad, lazy jokes about it for like three years. <laughs> Wasn't it like only cams or something like, I don't it remember. Was like on, you're right, remember it was like Remember back to like three dystopias ago when we... <laughs> Right. Free cams, my free cams. That that was the joke. Nobody cares. <laughs> but I got there, so I'm happy. Patreon.com, you just kick some money in there, uh, send us a DM, tell us what you want us to do, and we'll send you video or images. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, you you put some money on our Patreon, and, and then due to you, we get to uh, put out more shows next week, uh, next month, next year maybe uh assuming there's a society to put out shows into and and i would wager dear listener that if there were no society left to uh put a show if if it were if it were eric and myself and an iphone on a floating piece of space debris this show would still be something we would want to do we may not be able to do it on account of no oxygen and Whatever. Also, how long till that space debris breaks? Because I don't feel like we bought the best one. I feel like we got something <laughs> mid-tier and we kind of abused it. That's true. Yeah. I, um, you know, we have a very sex work positive show 
But uh, please don't use the German episode to start making the My Free Cams jokes. That is the wrong one I want to engage on. <laughs> you know, if you're going to promise people weird videos, maybe just save it for, I don't know, a French show at least. Jesus. At least a French show. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. Make sure we can keep going. We got movies we want to do next time. There's always more movies to do. As is proof, by the way, by this weird fucking episode that you were so kind to indulge me on, <laughs> I have been on a weird German kick and uh, realized that it's, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a blind spot for us because we've covered a fair portion of it, but I was not aware of, um, I don't know, from where I live and the kind of uh, movies that are around me, I guess, the people I'm talking to about movies. It's not a lot of people talking about German films. And I got a little itch and I kind of went, ah, I want to mm-hmm. want to check out like what is, uh, you know, new German cinema? When did this happen and what was going on there? And I actually got that itch on our show, on our Suspiria show, which was only a couple of weeks ago, I think. It was definitely... Definitely forever ago, but yeah. It's months ago at this point, <laughs> but it was this year. Firmly last year. No, it was this it year. It was last, well, this year of the show. Oh, yes. whatever, yes. <laughs> so, well, look, we were talking at the time about, uh, I spent a lot of time on that show talking about the the kind of aesthetic and really that speaking to me and not understanding it mm-hmm. and getting caught in this place where something was mystifying me and I was really chasing it. And I wound up in Germany. That's sort of like where that um, where that took me, and when I tried to look for German cinema to watch, it wasn't like going through French cinema and you have this whole robust body of movies. German cinema was harder for me to find, and it was all movies I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And actually, you had seen The American Friend, and I hadn't. Yeah, I knew Vim Vendors, and I knew Michael Haneke. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, um, it worked so well when we tried to get two other directors talking and make them friends and uh, learned yeah. that that was not <laughs> not the case with our Harmony Corinne Todd Salon show. Right. But I thought, these are directors, Wim Wenders is really like proper new German cinema. Mm-hmm. And Michael Haneke, I mean, The White Ribbon is a lot more recent film. Yeah, which is bizarre. It is. Compared <laughs> to everything else. That we've seen. Well, because it's like it's like in the run up to World War One. It's like, uh, yeah, this is crazy. But let's start with the American friend. Great. I think the best way to start, Michael, this is going to surprise you, might be a log line. Well, so the best part about I knew you were gonna you were gonna tee up a log line you for this movie because you, you do it that? every week. Oh, but my favorite part about the log line to this movie is that there's so many like random pieces of the story that are ultimately like they feel arbitrary they're obviously important to the film but as mm. far as a log line goes they're very arbitrary so i'm going to give you a log line but i'm going to leave it laden with the with the <laughs> loose threads that the, yeah. the film wants you to have it's like overexcited mad libs or something right okay great i gotcha an american who is running an art scam meets a frame maker who may or may not be dying and helps him survive a series of hitman missions that the frame maker is put on 
so that he doesn't uh, die in combat and can make money for his family. So the best part about that logline is that's what the movie's about. But it, it, there's all this, this seemingly random stuff about this art racket, this dude who makes frames, every piece of it's to me, one of the most interesting things about this movie is that it's like 12 movies and that they go, no. So the main storyline is that this guy actually uh, decides that he is in fact capable of being a hitman, which is insane because the first 20 minutes of the movie are very firmly about art duplication. Yeah. You sit there and you really watch that. There was a great movie I saw this year called the lost Leonardo. Mm hmm. And it's a documentary that tells the story of this painting, but it kind of tells the story of art dealership and kind of manufacturing value for paintings, creating some kind of weird consensus, getting buy-in and, and jacking up the value of paintings. And it's a total primer on that in the beginning of this movie. Mm -hmm. And then just sort of, just like this guy is sucked out of his fucking framing shop to do these jobs it reaches in and rips you out of art world and goes, no, you don't get that movie. You can't do that. Right. You're dying and actually you got to go. Yeah. Well, I'm not, not entirely sure what <laughs> the first wild thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. This, it feels, it feels like this is a Wim Wenders movie and then he goes on vacation and Michael Bay walks in and goes, anyway, okay. So this guy's actually fucking dying. Yeah. And uh, he's going to be a hitman. Well, yeah, you can't set me up better to uh, to go, you know who walks in is Robbie Muller because every <laughs> double feature apparently was shot by Robbie Muller. I don't know what the fuck's going on. What is this like? You know what's funny is last year on the show, I know this is all over the place, last year on the show we talked about cinematographers mm -hmm. and you kind of reached this conclusion that was like, man, you know, for uh, for somebody who's so critical to the end product of what we see, we should really spend more time talking about these people. And then we accidentally did like 15 Robbie Muller mm -hmm. uh, movies this year. I don't know how that's happening. Okay, so we're introduced to this conflict and this is the first sort of, wait, what the fuck for me in this movie? Where our guy is given this proposition to be a hitman and it's kind of put to him like, oh, you don't want to do it? Hey, no problem. Just uh, come talk to my doctor. Ooh, bad news from the doctor. Anyways, here you go. Kill this guy. <laughs> it's kind of like, at no point does our protagonist, there's some weird, I don't know, like feudalism to both these movies today where he's on this trajectory to go commit these murders, whether he wants to or not. Like the pieces are already in motion. I think we'll see that a lot with the White Ribbon too. But once this guy enters his life, he just cuts so quickly to, okay, well, what does motivate this guy? Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. He's dying. Well, I got to set him up with this doctor. And our protagonist will not say no to that. He'll go. And it doesn't matter that it's so obviously a setup. He just wants to hear news from a doctor and his doctor won't give him news. So at that point, it's just like, I don't know. These are very, um, they're like subtly funny movies in a lot of ways. And I think the biggest thing I noticed watching them back to back 
the White Ribbon informed this in the American Friend for me, how much of this movie is crazy, but is it's not crazy on the surface. Like there is a, so what, what's this movie about? If we wanted a tight log line, it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It's like when a guy finds out he only has so long to live, he's got to commit hits for hire to leave money for his family. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. the sort of dumbed down version of it that doesn't really hit all the details, but that's kind of like the boilerplate what we're doing here. So you sort of know how these beats are going to play out, but then the fact that our guy doesn't see the beats about the doctor and like doesn't care mm-hmm. or doesn't really ask himself how he wound up in these situations, like that's already putting a, a big kind of kink in this where it's just fucking weird. And then I also feel like you look at the different characters. So, you know, you have Dennis Hopper in the movie. Automatically, like, Dennis Hopper was uh, a fucking treasure to cinema. Mm -hmm. Super wild guy. Always interesting performances. I have never seen him do anything like this movie. Yeah. You know, like, I've seen him in the Red Rock West cowboy hat. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. You got this, like, American guy. He's got a cowboy hat on. But as the movie goes on, Dennis Hopper gets weirder. You know, he kind of has a couple little explosions here and there, which, again, fine. I've seen Dennis Hopper do that. He'll sort of get a little manic in kind of a scary way. Like, that's, I've seen that before. So it's not totally unusual, although it makes it weirder. But by the end of this movie, I'm thinking of like when he, he's got this very cool look that is, uh, is sort of the mid-length translucent hair falling over his face, mm-hmm. his overly chic, you know, intellectual glasses. Like he just starts looking more and more like a fucking art dealer by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. In his, uh, you know, like his blazer over his t-shirt, taking Polaroids on the pool table. Like this scene basically invented hipster. <laughs> and it's so weird to see Dennis Hopper do and this is the kind of German film craziness I'm talking about where things look very much on the up and up. Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? Oh, just movie stuff. It's a gorgeous movie. We're moving along through our acts. We've kind of felt this all before. And then when you actually show up and do it, like I guess what I mean to say is it doesn't tip you off mm-hmm. to just how nuts a lot of this is. Yeah. Until you start winding up in places you don't know you got there. Little moments of like uh, Dennis Hopper's character walking on the the bridge and then the camera pulling back out through this guy's window. Yeah. Or who's the um, the American guy who's in uh, high, uh, Samuel Fuller? Yeah. Right? right. Yeah. So like that's in the, so Samuel Fuller, we did one, I think of his movies Mm -hmm. once upon a time on the show. But if you don't know Samuel Fuller, he did a lot of really like sort of controversial movies, really cut to, the movie was White Dog that we did. Mm -hmm. And it it was really quite a powerful movie and felt like um, almost miraculous that somebody would let you make a movie about this. So I won't really go into White Dog. You can go check that out. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was weird to see this movie is it's just so fucking art house. Like Samuel Fuller is playing a role in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
and is is also, by the way, like kind of one of the more normal parts of this. Mm-hmm. He's like an artist who just wants to live his life. You just check in with him a couple times. Maybe he's got an eye patch, just not too weird, you know. So part of it is the characters, but part of it is also situational. I don't just mean to say that these guys show up to a normal movie, but because the actors are who they are, it's crazy. It is also baked into the script. You know, it's like, okay, you know the scene where he has to go, this is like best joke of the year to me. He has to go shoot this guy in public. That's what he's being told to go do. And the last thing that the dude hiring him says is, you know, just being conspicuous, right? Like, well, you gotta, you gotta walk like a normal person. Don't run away. Don't freak out. You're just gonna go shoot the guy and then blend back in. And he's trying to give him like uh, crash course hitman stuff. Right. So like, where does this guy fucking kill him? Right. He decides to sh- to shoot his target as they're both going up the escalator, where <laughs> his only two options then are to either escalate over his body right so he shoots this guy in front of him and then the guy is gonna like get stuck at the top of the escalator so he's gonna what oh just totally normal stuff i'll just jump over this dead body or the option he picks which is to bolt as fast as he can down the up escalator and it's just the situation where you're like how the fuck did we get here like this guy should not be doing this (laughs) you know the movie playing everything so normal and then arriving in this, um, I don't know, it's where you realize things aren't buttoned up. Right. The train is another one of these. Like they're almost doing a fucking 1920s physical comedy routine on this train. They're like, oh no, a guy's going to see them. They kill the guy. They drag him in the bathroom. It, or the guy's alive in the bathroom, then they got to kill him. But how do they get him out of the bathroom and through the door? But oh no, a woman's coming by with a drink cart. It's just like, and I feel like we're, I feel like we're in that hallway standing next to the bathroom for like 30 minutes or something. Right. It's just like in the longest amount of time. So yeah, German craziness. I don't know. Um, do you know anything about new German cinema? Is this pretty new to you? Or you, you said you'd seen it before. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen I saw when, once I discovered, once I discovered um, this director with a uh, million dollar hotel, which is like, oh yeah. At the time, you know, we we did that on the show way, way, way back. And it's a great show. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. Um, I discovered that director and then started, you know, hit the Paris, Texas and just started basically doing the rundown, trying to hit everything I could. Um, Paris, Texas, another one. Wings of Desire, all of this shit. Wings of Desire was one of my, you know, when I started on Suspiria and went, oh, this is the look. This is the thing I have in my head. And I haven't really been able to pick out what movies. And then staring at it in Suspiria, I went, I could draw a line from Wings of Desire because you know you mm-hmm. don't want to start with Suspiria 2018 like that's yeah of course not it's like so troublesome there are no new ideas uh, after 2000 every new every idea that anyone has had after well, you're not going to really was an idea the, someone else had before and just didn't have it loud enough yeah yeah you're not going to really pinpoint the origins of something and be able to do an exploration in such a loaded movie. Mm-hmm. even though we were really able to talk about a lot of that. But Wings of Desire was the one where I went, okay, I can draw a line now. And like, what what is it I'm chasing? What is this look? 
And that's when I find, you know what? It, it matches up with the Berlin Wall, basically. Yeah. From 61 to 89, that whole period of fucking movies. And th- then I kind of went in there and went, well, where are the names I recognize, the heavy hitters? And watching some of those, like the whole look, when you're, um, it's these like green-hued whites, though. He's waiting for the train, mm-hmm. and it's just like beautiful 166 ratio, 35 millimeter. It's just such a fucking great look. It had me even chasing after all these contact Zeiss lenses made in uh, in the 80s. German lenses that just really, it has some look that I just identify with. I don't know if it's, I don't know personally what it is, but I'm just obsessed with this stuff right now. But the movies were also really interesting to me because new German cinema piggybacked. It's actually pretty funny as a movement. I don't know much about it, but it piggybacked off French New Wave, right? So French New Wave, we've talked about a lot. It's basically like French cinema stagnates. It's getting too big. There's all these American blockbusters that are really taking off and the French cinema gets dull. And through means we don't have time to go into, younger people get their hands on equipment and can make real tiny movies that look like reality mm-hmm. and that are just full of like wonder and amazement and things that the old big sluggish studios weren't doing. So the Germans are also having stagnant cinema. And bear in mind too that this is, you know, the creation of the wall bifurcates Germany. So you have East Germany, West Germany, but then the capital of Berlin, which does not fall directly between East and West Germany, mind you, is also now you have East Berlin and West Berlin. As all of this is going on, cinema and culture is stagnating. There's all these, uh, all this like artistic and cultural warfare, uh, time of great turmoil. But they look at French movies and they go, we should have our own new wave. And they don't even really call this the German new wave. But basically what happened with French new wave is they made these little movies and they were such a breath of fresh air and they fucking took off. People love them. They made a lot of money. The producers were coming back and going, do you have any friends who make these movies? Let's spread all this wealth around. It was a huge boom. And in German independent cinema, they saw what the French were doing. They came out with these little movies. They did weird stuff, stuff nobody had ever seen before. And they fucking tanked. They did not succeed at all. But Germany started subsidizing them. So Germany was basically like, no, 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 this is going to stick. And they subsidized them to such a degree. A friend of mine's working in New Orleans right now. They got a lot of big tax breaks. The tax break they're trying to hit is 30%. That's a huge fucking tax break in the States. Mm -hmm. The German government was putting 80% into these (laughs) fucking movies. They were basically made by the German government. I mean, it's insane the amount of subsidy they were, or whatever the, you know, write-off or the... Well, the last set of movies that was funded by the... The last set of movies funded by the German government never came out, so they had to make a second play. Yeah, I mean... Pretty loaded, the uh, <laughs> pretty loaded the history of movies funded by the German government. Let's just say that. Yeah, I was actually at no shortage of movies made by the German government. That was not the uh, 
that was not what was tough. What was tough is arriving back in Berlin and chasing those, uh, you know, the possession uh, feelings. I also knew Michael Haneke. Michael Haneke made one of my favorite movies of all time, Funny Games. Mm -hmm. And The White Ribbon was one of the Haneke's I had not seen. Loglining, The White Ribbon is pretty funny because of what, how it actually makes you feel and what actually happens in it. Um, made a joke with somebody that White Ribbon is like, uh, in pre-World War I times, on the cusp of World War I, when one child is forced to stop touching himself, the village becomes haunted. And that's kind <laughs> of the events of the White Ribbon. But not really. A lot of bad stuff happens in this movie. I don't know entirely. Can you give me like an overall arc of this film? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the basis is that you, uh, there's, there's what? There's one small crime essentially, uh, I don't know, I guess it's not super small, but I think <laughs> if in that the, wire had been up a couple of feet, it'd be a huge crime. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's, it's basically like a poisoning of the town slowly in retaliation of this one event, right? It's, it's the people in power turning up the heat in various ways to retaliate against this one event. In retaliation or in continuation, I think that's what's hard about doing a log line to me mm -hmm. is you don't get definitive answers to things. My introduction to Michael Haneke was in, you know, in the American Funny Games, there's a very deliberate scene. If you've seen the film, I won't spoil it if you haven't, mm -hmm. but it's just a sort of like, fuck you, you're not allowed to do that kind of moment. Mm -hmm. And you walk away going, that's cheating. Like, how could you punish me in such a way? And that feeling has continued through most of his work that I've seen. Even the movies that are, you know, a more, I mean, a, um, I don't want to say a more positive film, but a really less cynical, maybe more from the heart, mm -hmm. but it's still so punishing. And I think what's most punishing about this film is not, not being able to walk away and go, here's what the movie's about. It's, basically someone's retelling of the time and they they attribute it early as oh this might uh fill you in a little bit about the city about the region so you could understand world events a little bit more mm -hmm. so i feel like the one thing that you're given you're given so early in the movie that by the end of it imagine if all this happened in the movie every miserable awful thing and then you get to the end of the film and the guy goes, and I tell you all this so that you know what the climate was kind of like in Germany right before World War I. You might feel this sense of relief, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I see why I sat through all of this hardship. Now I kind of know. But because he says it right in the beginning, it has such the opposite effect that I'm, I'm looking for a justification or going like, what really does this teach me about how awful everything is mm -hmm. and what's coming? So instead, the whole time I'm waiting for like some concrete link to the start of World War I and not, you know, a scene at the end where they're like, anyways, these countries started fighting. This one was like, oh, I'm going to war with you. And that was World War I. 
I'm like, damn it, <laughs> that doesn't. <laughs> so, so the thing you came here to tell me is that we couldn't solve any of these mysteries because we got busy with World War One. It's like the least satisfying thing to like hang mm-hmm. your fucking hat on at the end. So, yeah, I don't know. I think thematically, there's this look at. Um, it's hard to talk about Haneke movies without trying to make guesses about who Haneke is and what he thinks about the world. Right. You know, somebody who has such a miserable kind of like outlook on humanity, you kind of wonder like, is Michael Haneke a fun guy or is he sort of a, <laughs> sort of a pain to be around? You're like, Michael, you're always complaining about everything. Cosmetically, I think it's dealing with all of this human cruelty, right? It's like man's... Right inhumanity to man. Mm-hmm. I assume the thing you're talking about in the beginning is the horse. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because it's like, what I'm thinking back through the movie too, the other thing that's weird about it, there's just no action to the film. Right. It's about all of these really terrible things, but you don't really see them. It definitely, the, the, that's one of the things that I think, so one of the when i started this movie when i put this movie on knowing it was a michael haneke movie this was one of the most like holy shit i'm in the middle of a place i didn't realize i was going to end up being because after seeing funny games and funny games and cache and the other ones we've seen of his i felt like i had a pretty good idea of where these movies were going to go and then I started this and I'm like, I don't know where I am. I don't know how this fits into his filmography. I don't know how this movie is from this decade. You mean like the, the Germany or the black and white or the 1911 yeah. or like what? No, I just, I mean like the movie just, it, it, I don't know. There's just something. If, if this movie had come out in, in the seventies, I'd be like, yeah, I get this for sure. Mm. But the mm-hmm. fact that this is a contemporary movie by all accounts really just like made me feel like I was grasping at straws. But I think the thing that settled me down and made me realize, well, this is one of the things I, I, I can actually attribute to Haneke is the fact that the movie is going on whether or not you are. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think that that to me is one of the most major through lines to his work is that I feel like, and I don't know, there's like a certain, there's a certain mystique to it, but there's something about how all of his movies play like this happens, whether or not, you know, the, the, the adage about if a tree falls in the forest, does anybody hear? I'm right? familiar. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, with, with Haneke movies, it's like, whether or not you see them, they are going on. There's something about that. Like it, it's almost like the movie is completely, all of his movies, much like you were referencing with Funny Games even, all of his movies are very much unconcerned with his audience. Mm-hmm. It's very much these movies are, this is the story that this movie is telling. Whether or not you are in the room, whether or not you are on board with it, uh, this movie is going to go on. And this movie feels the most like that of everything I've seen. It's it's very, it's almost a documentary in in the sense of how it's being told. Yeah, you're not even privy to the events. Right. Like you see the horse fall and that might be the last bit of action you literally get in the entire movie. Except the scene where the woman's trying to borrow a bike because I think her riding off on the bike, very, uh, very action-packed. That, by the way, also another, the most frustrating fucking scene 
the conversation where like, I don't know if it's because I'm so enraged of what we just saw where, you know, he's trying to get to the bottom of a mystery. Finally, some resolution in this fucking movie. All of the, you know, a barns burning down, crops are being chopped up. We see the, um, we assume the girl stabbed this bird. Obviously terrible things happening to the kids. But then he's putting together, mm-hmm. our narrator is sort of putting together what's going on and is stopped to be confronted about the, whether <laughs> whether he, he'll borrow this bike that isn't his. And just the constant questioning back and forth too. They're like, well, well where are you going? Why are you going there? Well, what are you what are you doing there? And I'm like, just give the fucking bike up. <laughs> Anyways, not the central conflict of the movie, but the one that I latch onto. I think there's this question of the cruelty and why it's there. And it's weird because what we see, you know, we're given this theory at the end of the film that, hey, maybe it's these kids or at least they know what's going on. Right. But it sort of seems like this pack of children, of hostile-esque children, has just appeared at the scene of every crime. And, uh, and that's from the wire all the way down the line. And we're really given no other possible theory. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was a moment for me where I had just been in the mode of so defending the children because the world they live in fucking sucks so much. Right, right. And, you know, we see things that we see child abuse. We see, um, I mean, fuck, do we see child abuse? Actually, the more more that I was going to categorize these events, I'm like, it's literally all child abuse, like every interaction. Um, They're being... Shamed in public, fucking caned. Uh, God, yeah, I mean, all of it is just so awful. And so it kind of asks these questions about why, especially when you're, you're not solving the central riddle of the whodunit of the film or getting any kind of like backstory that points at it. I had this feeling the whole time I'm watching it, like, so who am I mad at here? Am I mad at the parents? <laughs> Am I mad at the kids? Am I mad at 1911? Like what? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's 1911 the year. It was a long time ago. A hundred years ago. I'm mad at a hundred years ago. Yeah, I don't know. Did you feel like you had to confront the sort of like cycle of abuse or the why of it? I mean, there's a lot of that, but I think I think sort of like you were saying when the movie opens with this is basically what was going on uh, leading up to World War One. I'm constantly watching the movie going I know that this is metaphorical one I know that this isn't going to be this isn't fucking you know Franz Ferdinand starting this it's not it's not like Franz Ferdinand's gonna walk into this town and get shot uh-huh. that's not gonna happen so I know that it's not going to be something catalytic of what started the war. So I'm already watching for metaphor, but I am still predisposed to question everything the adults are doing. One, because despite the fact that I myself am an old person, uh, I think of myself as a young punk. And so I'm constantly going, the authority is the problem. Yeah. And two, because wars aren't started by children. Sure, sure. And so I'm constantly trying to I'm constantly trying to to pin the war on somebody in this movie. And so I'm I'm basically like, "Oh, that's a pretty rich adult. I'm guessing he started yeah, yeah, yeah. the war." Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is maybe another reason to leave the kids doing the crimes out of the movie Mm -hmm. because it would make it easier for you to just lay blame. I think when you see, this is part of just cinematic power, you see people do something and you're getting that side of the story. So you watch, you know, you don't see the girl stick the scissors in the bird. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that because we're withholding all action from you because we're, you know, making sure the audience doesn't even get the satisfaction of witnessing a crime to, to like bear witness and point at it and know the facts? Or is it because we don't want to watch the children because we think the children are victims? We want to create space to go, hey, we're not here to talk about minor crimes of, I don't even know if they're minor crimes, just the crimes of, Sure. You know, people raised in awful situations. But there's failings everywhere. I mean, even the narrator who could try to dodge and weave blame is sort of like, oh yeah, all these kids I'm teaching, it's like they have no moral compass, like their teachers are failing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do come away from the movie and there's one one bit of the frustration that is alleviated for me. I'm going to bear a, a dark, twisted part of my soul for you here. Is these Haneke movies, like, I really feel like, as a filmmaker, I understand him. There is a, and I've talked to some of the people, um, I've talked to other people in the industry who kind of feel this way, but the real, like, European edgelord uh, kind of people who make twisted stuff. Yeah. We'll talk about how the world of filmmaking does not look like our, our world, or that movies are too much of a release or too optimistic. They don't talk about the world as it actually is, which is like cold and unforgiving and Mm -hmm. punishing. Mm -hmm. And one of the great curiosities to me about filmmaking in general is how you get so many people making pleasant, happy movies representing this worldview, which is so unlike just the, um, I mean, here's what it is is it takes a lot to get a movie made. It is fucking torture. And you have to brush up against, I mean, it's the Wild West. You're going out there, you're talking to people, and you're trying to find money for things. And you, you know, the the world ends up being very small and everybody kind of knows each other. And a lot of the people are terrible, man. Right. They are, like, I have seen the worst of humanity in just the last five or six years, worse than any point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder how you can come out the other side of that and just make like a nice, pleasant romp of a film. And not that those shouldn't be made or anything, but then I see somebody like, I see somebody make the white ribbon and I go, oh yeah, this guy gets it. Like this <laughs> is a real, real person. Well, it makes me wonder too, you know, like who has it easy enough that they could go, no, the moral is that the world is really caring and is really kind and is really, uh, and that just seems so crazy to me. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe not if it's an easy go. If you, uh, if you have a famous father or you're a trust fund kid or whatever, the, you know, if you don't have to do the, mm-hmm. the Wild West thing or if you're not privy to the shady parts of the industry because you can just sit on high and, and coast, then maybe you don't have to worry about that. But when I see people who make these bleak fucking crushing films, mm-hmm. 
I feel this kind of like, I think that's part of what I'm learning is the warmth that I feel is sort of someone else poking their their head out of the sand and kind of going like, yeah, this is pretty hard sometimes to keep making these movies that are like the white ribbon is formally impressive. You know, Mm -hmm. it sort of has this look to it that allows it to get away with things like never really showing you anything, never delivering. Because you kind of look at it and you go like, oh, this looks sophisticated. This looks like the person making it knows what they're talking about. So they can show up and they can go, all humanity is terrible. All, you know, the conclusions are never this blunt, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sort of just like, I mean, honestly, really pretty cynical disposition, I guess. Or even just the lack of conclusion, the lack of giving the audience what they want. If you did that and you didn't look so buttoned up, as I said in the previous movie, if you didn't look so on top of things, people would go, oh, how, how amateur. You know, here's a filmmaker wrote a story, didn't even do anything with it. It didn't even go anywhere. Right. But because you look at it and you go, oh, this is, this is master stuff right here. This person definitely, the great Michael Haneke, winner of Cannes Film Awards, like this person knows what they're doing. Right. And then you watch it and he can just like give you the finger the whole time. And you're like, yeah, this is really, this is really high art right here. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> I got enough fucking sirens going off back in here. I, I don't even know how people can listen to this. this. These New York shows, it's just the sounds of NYPD parades over I mean, here and whatever the fuck. The sounds of violent crimes backing up the white ribbon really are the fundament of what you're even talking hey, about. Hey, it's only the blue ribbon creating violent crimes out here in my neighborhood, okay? <laughs> I'll have none of that. We have a website. It's doublefeature.fm. The more important website is onlyfans.com slash doublefeature. Patreon. Patreon.com. <laughs> Don't even remember the website. Our uh, our top subscribers to our... I'm just going to keep going with the OnlyFans joke. No, our, our executive producers. Hit me. It's Charles Crawford, Ben Acker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon. Because of them, we were able to explain death to one small child today. So... <laughs> Um, next time, next time on double feature, we're going to, we're going to return to some, uh, some wildly overgrown, but vastly familiar territory for the show. That's what I'm going to say. We're going to do this movie that fucking Bill Paxton directed called frailty. Wow. And then we're going to pair him with the, his obvious peer, which is Werner Herzog. <laughs> hey, new, uh, new German cinema transition, really hitting those yeah. transitions even show to show. Crushing uh, Werner Herzog is, is coming out to, to show his hand with where the green ants dream. Next time on Double Feature, please enjoy. Watch more fucking film. All right, bye.